0: Gone to the Dogs, your fortnightly dose of Greyhound racing interviews, insights, and a whole lot more. With your hosts, Joe Andrews and Danny Jackson. Welcome to episode 18 of Gone to the Dogs. And as always, I am Danny Jackson and my co-pilot is
1: Joe. Hello. How are you doing?
0: I'm alright, Joe, yeah. How are you? Are you well? You've just gone jumpy on me, which is really great. You're... Uh, <laughs> you. Did... I
1: said, I said, Are you well? in a sort of Tomo type uh, voice.
0: <laughs> uh, I thought you were. <laughs> 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 yes, Joan, <Jim>, very well. <laughs> I am um, busy, busy, busy. Uh, but that's because I'm taking time off in September because it's my birthday. So, wow. because now I'm my own boss, do what I want.
1: Yeah, it's a sassy independent woman. <laughs>
0: It's the red hair, I think. It's coming through. <laughs> Have you been up to that much, Joe, at all?
1: No, no. How, how no. was your
0: birthday? Because obviously yeah. you told us about what your plans were, but did they go to plan?
1: Yeah, we had a barbecue. It was The weather was awful, but we got very lucky. There was like a one-hour window, fired up the barbecue, cooked cooked all the meat and the veggie burgers. I mean, it's a pain in the ass now, barbecues these days, because... You've not only got people that eat meat, we've got veggies, we've got gluten free and all this sort of malarkey. Do you know what I mean? It's not a case of just chucking stuff on the Barbie anymore. So, um but it was good, it was good. And then I had a party last Saturday in London, a joint party with another mate who's having a fortieth. So that was good fun as well. Good turnout. And uh yeah, I'm um, you know, another day closer to forty one.
0: Oh, I don't think we have much news this week, Joe, for uh no. the Greyhound World. we
1: we're Unless I've missed right. something, but there's been no Cat One finals um, or anything like that. There's Been lots of good racing, but nothing, nothing to know. And then there's been nothing, you know, really to discuss or or any big news coming out. So uh, I think we might as well just crack on with our interview because it's a long one.
0: It is, but it it is a good one. It's with owner-trainer Peter Harding, who of course also holds a seat on the GBGB board as well. He's gonna tell us all about it. Strap yourselves in, everyone. So Peter, welcome to the podcast. Can you introduce yourself and tell us about your journey into greyhound racing from the beginning, please?
2: Yeah, I'm Pete Arnhem. Uh I'm a trainer, first and foremost. I'm the rep on the greyhound board uh, for the trainers. So I sit on there and try and put the trainers point of view from. Now, regarding how I got into dog racing, it was born into me, really. My mother and father had a track at uh, Long Eaton. It was an independent uh, racing track. I did go licensed at one point in time but my dad ran that, and my mother worked there as well, Uh, and my mother was a big horsey lady, and it was a choice of, do I actually follow along the path in horse racing, or do I go into the the dogs, and I suppose really the dogs was the the sort of cheaper option, and and I grew a bit too big really to do too much on the horses, Uh, so really I just followed on into the dogs. Uh, My dad made me go out and get myself a trade as a youngster, he says you'll always have Work if you get yourself a trade. So I went out and got myself a trade as a joiner. Uh, and then I sort of like went into the dogs and got myself the kennels. We took over, we bought Emil Kovac's kennels from him. Uh, they were very run down and, you know, hadn't been used for a long, long time. So we had to spend the time to to do them and get them up to standard. And we've been there ever since. So, you know, it's, it was really born into me. I couldn't do anything about it, really, whether I was going to be dog racing because we had him in it, at home from when I was a baby. So it's. You know, it's, once it's in your blood, they always say, it's in your blood, it's in your blood, and that's it.
1: So when did you take over then? What age were you when you took over the kennels?
2: Uh, well, actually, I started the kennels up because we had the dogs at home when we was all independent racing. And it's really when the independents were starting to really die out. And in 1997, Long Eaton uh, went and eventually got built on. And at that point in time, my dad spoke to Terry Corden, who was at Nottingham. Uh, Terry helped me fill in my licence and do what I needed to with that. And next minute, I got a call off Nathan Corden to say, yeah, you're attached, come and start. And actually, at that point in time, I got no intention of running on Nottingham because I didn't have enough dogs. Uh, I just wanted really to go away racing or probably go on Perry bar as a permit trainer and stuff. And But I went straight on to Nottingham. And so I was there from 1997 until I left Nottingham, I think, probably about two and a half years ago to go to Toaster. So it was, it was a long journey.
1: So how many dogs did you have back then when you said not many?
2: Uh, I think we probably had about 14 at home at that point in time. So, you know, I was only just laughing with my mother again the other day because we was only just in a normal house at that point in time and we used to take them down to the River Trent and walk them along the embankment three times a day. And my mother would get up before she went to work, take them out. I'd come back after, well, then I think it was me at dinner time. And then, you know, we'd all come back after work later on and we'd all go down the River Trent again and take them in the transit van probably four or five at a time. Three journeys down there, walking down there. and It was a big commitment to a quite honest, But I, I loved it. I really. I think the independent days I enjoyed more than the licensed days, quite honest. People, they don't understand stand it if you haven't done the independent days. And I think that's why I like, actually, I've gone across to Henlow. Henlow feels like an independent type of track to me. And it's just all the old doggy folk and everyone who goes there, they are doggy people. Whereas a lot of the license track nowadays it's just six packers and these sort of people that they're not real true doggy sort of folk. Whereas when you was on the independence, it was all doggy folk and it was a big family. And Henlo's like that. Henlo's like a big family and I love it. It's like going back in time.
1: Nice. So you started off with fourteen. How many have you got now?
2: Uh I think at me height I went to about 150. Uh and I and I tell you what, it takes some time to just gradually work way down. And I think we're at seventy now. So people think seventy is a lot, but when you've been at 150, 70 seems like <laughs> easy going to be quite honest. So no, it's I, I'm enjoying myself a lot now. At 150 it was like it got silly. I got yeah. carried away and you can do you can you keep breeding, you buy keep people ring you up, oh, I've got this this dog and that and you keep buying them, and the next minute you're around you think, what have I done? What have I done? And it's we don't sell dogs. I've never been one for, for selling dogs. You know, they get rehomed and you know where they're going. Whereas I think my dad years and years ago, he had a dog and he, he let somebody have a dog and he, he saw the dog a while later and he said the dog was in a terrible condition. It really upset him. And it was like, oh, I never wanted to see that. You know, once you've, once you've sold him, your power and your control sort of gone. Uh, you know, and the living beings and you want them to be looked after properly, you want everyone to treat them like you would do. So, you know, I've not been, I think I've sold one dog in my life and that that's all I've ever sold. So, you know, it's. It's a hard job when you've got 150 to find homes for them and gradually cut the numbers down. So we did that over quite a long period. And all we did is every time we sold sold up, every time we owned a dog, I knocked the kennels down. My mother says, what are you doing? I said, well, if not the kennels down, I can't buy another dog. And that's what I actually literally knocked kennels down. So we couldn't put any more, more dogs in. I thought that will stop me. <laughs> and that's what happened
1: extreme but it worked
2: (laughs) yeah yeah, it was it was was extreme but it it definitely worked and because even now you you know you get carried away i've got some lovely bitches there we could breed and it's like i want to and i'm like no got no space can't do it can't do it so you know people ring you up all the time there's a nice dog here nice dog there and you think no i've got a pal of mine who wants to buy every day he's reached me up and said peter let's get this one no got no space
0: Just use your joining skills and knock a few together. You'll be right.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Them days have gone.
0: (laughs) Now, um, just talk us through a typical day of training at the Slakers kennels, because obviously it will have changed from going down to the river with them in the transit van and taking them for a walk. So just talk us through what happens on a day-to-day basis.
2: Yeah, see, you have different days, obviously, because now we have the early morning. So sometimes we have to get up and and go racing. So we... (laughs) It's, it's hard, really. That side of the side of the game really is tough because you've got to have the, the right number of staff around you to cover going racing. Some people go into the kennels. But the day normally starts between 7 and 7.30, you know, the dogs have their breakfast, go out, they let out, and that's the time then when you can clean the kennels, you're changing the waters. And that, my biggest bugbear is waters. The dogs have got to have good, clean, fresh water all the time. You know, you cannot... You won't want to be drinking stale water. You can't go without water, so you know you've got to have nice, good, fresh water in there. So they're all cleaned out, done. The beds can be changed if the beds needed changing. You'll do changing, and then you're grooming. And if dogs have been racing the day before, they might be then swimming because since Liam's come, he's really put us on the track that we need this, we need that. So we've got the galloping now. You know we've got the swimming pool there. So everything. What Liam, as a he's instilled it towards that when he comes towards. He needs that as well. So obviously if he needs it, we want it. So it has been really, really good that Liam come over because it sort of pushed me to do things the right way and get the right things in place. And it's it's in our interests. As well as it says, Liam needs it, you know, if he needs it, we want it. So you know, we've done those sort of things. So it will be there we gallop, there'll be swam, and it's like checking for treatments. But I have to say, since I've been at Kevin Booth tracks, the one good thing Touchwood is there's not so many treatments to do because the dogs seem to be all pretty running quite safely and stuff like, and that really is—it's a massive thing to have, you know, good safe running tracks, because it monetary wise it helps you, and it also helps, helps you, and you mentally because you don't want to see dogs in your kennel walking around with you've got to work on all the time. There's issues and stuff like it. Really, it, it's massive having good good tracks
1: and stuff. And just for the listeners' benefit, when you say Liam, you mean Liam Dowling,
2: Liam Dowling, yeah, the famous Ballymacs. I always say we call ourselves Little Bally Mac now when it comes to the, when it comes over. <laughs> we, we look forward to it. Do you know, when he comes over, we all look forward to it, even my mother-like and stuff. You know, it brings over dogs that we could only dream of really seeing and having like and stuff. And, you know, to talk to somebody like that, you know, sometimes you'd have these sports dinners where you go and pay money to go and sit there and listen to somebody talking. Well, we haven't got to pay for it Or he, he comes over and we, you listen to him. And it's... I think it's just, if you can't take in and learn off people like me and dad, then there's something wrong. And they are such a great family, a nice family life.
0: Now, just dialing back the years, Peter, do you remember your first winner and who was it?
2: Yeah, I remember my first dog, What well, I actually owned myself and I bought him with a good friend of mine, Steve Brooks. He was my best mate and he was my best man. Uh, and he was from Long Eaton. We, and you're like, now you have the ground trader auctions. Well, we used to have auctions in them days. So we had this auction at Long Eaton Stadium. So we picked this dog out and we were going to buy this dog, et cetera. And I'm sat there the auction pumped on. And I bid for this dog. And I bid for the wrong dog, didn't I? And I was like, oh, what are we are going to do? Anyway, we bought him. We called him the joiner because at the time, obviously, I was going into the train as being a joiner. And uh, he was useless. Actually, I'll say he was useless. He, he was, wasn't was useless, but he was a raging dodge. Honestly, he was a raging dog. dodge. So I think he won a couple of races like and stuff and he I think he was gonna get warned off, I think. So we re owned him and he was a pet, but that was my first dog I ever bought the first winner and uh but he was he was he was a real dodgy dog and I could see why he was cheap.
0: <laughs> At least he gave you a winner though, that's all that matters. Yeah, he
2: was he not I still see the dog nice, a lovely nice white, big white dog with black patches on him. He was you know, and he actually he was he was quite quick, but he was a he was a raging dodge.
1: <laughs> and who are some of the other memorable uh, dogs that you've, you've had over the years then the one that st- stand out either serial winners or, or big personalities I wrote a couple down really
2: and stuff And the first one we ever had was a, a dog called Hello Rocky which I bought off Derek Law from you who know, used to be Henlow, etc and he sent this dog up and we had him in, the dog could really run he ran A1s for fun but he was a complete dodge again but he was a good dodge because he'd stay in front, dogs would come to him and he'd kick a And I remember Lawrence toughing it oh, honestly, hated the dog because the dog just won A1. He couldn't be outgraded. They couldn't say, oh, you can't run anymore, Peter. You've got to go in opens. Because he never did a time. He just did what the dogs were next to him like and stuff. And honestly, Lawrence really did not like that dog me and Lawrence had some bantering. He said, Will you get rid of that, dog, Peter I said, "Oh, you can't beat him, can you, Lawrence?" But he stayed. With him. He came home and said, here to a pet, and we, we lost him. I found, it, found him. Found actually. He'd he, he gone to sleep one night, and then woke up, and he was about 13 years old. And he was, he was a real. He was a special. You know, when you have these special ones, that come along, and they're the ones we home, we own. You know, most of them. But I have some as pets, and you know, they're the ones what get to you. What you can't keep them all. So you know, the ones what really get to you. And then a one after that was Probably Salika's Vision, which I bought from Francis Murray, and I didn't pay good, good money, it's fair enough money. But we got to the Golden Sprint Final, so the first Cat One final we'd ever got to with him. And the reason he was special is every time I bet the dog, he won. You know, you don't bet him every time, but when you thought he had a chance, he won. I thought, yeah, so he stayed with us. He was another one that stayed with us till the end of his days. Uh, we had another one years ago called Cybele Fields. It was a pitch walk came from Mickey Lawler from down at Oxford. And he was owned, she was owned by Mark Lowther. So she came up to us and we had her. I'm not really somebody for having owners, but they were all friends. You know, I sometimes do have a friend's dog. So they said, oh, have this dog. So there's no problem. We had her. Oh, she was such a marathon runner. She, honestly, she, she was the first one I'd ever had, which she just thought she would run two miles. And we won a 8.15, made a marathon at Milton Keynes. And I remember John Mullins got one in the race at the time. And my mother had took this bitch on to go for the race. And she was just running across the middle of the infield, running the wrong way. And John Mullins said to me, he went, that's one of the best things I've ever seen. She forgot the dog she was running across cheering. My mother getting on a bit now, but it was, it was, that was really good. And she broke track record at Nottingham for the 7.30 as well. So she could, she could run. And she'd stay with us till the end of her days as well. And then really the, probably the best dog you might have this, I think this sounds daft, but even if I had a derby winner, I'll never have a dog to match him. And that was could punch. You know, he was, I'll never ever get another dog like this fella. He, he was just, if you could design a dog, he would be it. He was just power packed, he was unbelievable. And he'd got such a character every day. He'd give you a nip when you went in the kennel, when you grow in at night, he'd be the one I'd always go in to see and say, Try her to try her at night too. And he'd give you a nick, but you, you put your fingers through the thing and he'd nick your legs there, right, punch. And he's like, I mean, the day we found him in the morning when he wasn't very well, he, he won the uh, semi-final national sprint. And I mean, if you're doing 1740s for fun around Nottingham, you can run. And he won on the Derby final right at Shelbourne Park. I mean, that was, to have a, a winner on Derby final at Shelbourne Park, just like, that's the highlight of your career type of thing. And he won and then the next morning my sister went in, she said, I don't think punch very well. Anyway, I went in he never come to the door and he just got his head lying on the top of his bench of his of his bed. And I knew he just, because that's not him, went running in, went to got him straight down to the local vets. Anyway, I had this, what they call CHP, this chronic volume. And we did find out where it come from, eventually, like, and stuff, which really upset me because it, it was a bit naughty how it'd come along. But we was in there, the vets did everything, and there was Mark was stopping over at the time. And you've got two f- fellows, Big Mark and me, Brubbling along, like honestly, it's you think you lost, I've lost my kid or something, like it was like, and it broke me off. And I either turned, and I said, We either call it a day or we carry on. Uh, we carried on, and then lockdown, COVID come along, and I still said to Mark there, like, I just don't feel like doing this game anymore. I said, I'm just losing punches, broke my heart and I just don't think I've got it in, in me anymore. We had a good chat, and we decided, Yeah, go on, we'll have, to, we'll have to try and fire something, give us an upper and stuff. And that's when Pippi come along and we managed to get a hold of Pippi and it sort of reinvigorated my love with the game a little bit, which we'd lost. I, I'll never get over losing punts, because it's just, it felt so unfair. We'd not had dogs like him before, where some people get champions and stuff like that, and we'd not really had one like him. We'd had good dogs, but I don't think people had realised he'd just started to learn to trap. I know Jonathan Cade said he's a fast dog, but he, he, he's Achilles' Hills trapping. he just got the idea of trapping. I think... I think the best time he'd done around Knoxville was 1732 or something like that, which is just, you know, Gujain Jet, which I was raving about now, flew around the other day, 1779. And I, I we said I said to the guy on the way home, I said, we don't realise how good punch was when you see a dog like Gujain Jet doing 1779, and he was doing 1730s. You know, it's just like, that's how good he was. And so I probably won't get over him. And he, he's, he's one we've he's got, he's under the oak tree at the kennels and uh, he's with my dad because that's where my dad is as well Vision's there as well so you know, they're all under the oak tree so we're never going to take the oak tree down and we've got the plaque on the wall you know Salikas the you know the greatest salakas of all so you know that's a uh, it's a bit even now it's, it's raw with me it upsets me
1: you can tell Peter to be honest listening to the story but I mean uh, what a dog to own still and then even then with you know with the story of getting Pippy when you were thinking of throwing it in and what a dog she was for you. You know, yeah. that That really is a fantastic story.
2: And the thing is now we've got a bitch just now, which is in pulp, to Grainview 10, which is Punch's brother. So now, with our, I said, you know what, when when we have pups out of Pippi again in the future, we had to get cash out because at that point in time, Grainview 10 wasn't proven. So you can't go with an unproven bitch, really, to an unproven dog because you don't know where it's gone wrong, really, if it doesn't produce. So we said, we'll go with cash out. And then we'll go with Punch's brother. And it's, you know, once we see little Pippi's little punches on the ground, sort of out of family there. So we've got news headlines coming. She comes over next week and she's in Puck's Green Street 10. So we'll have a load of them on the ground. And then Pippi's going to go to his brother as well. So we'll have some of them on the ground. Yeah, we'll have little P- Pippi's uh, punches family in there as well. So, you know, that really will be nice if they turn out crackers.
0: Oh, that is exciting. I mean, when are the Pippies going to hit the track? That's what everybody on the Gone to the Dogs podcast right. wants to know, I think, Peter. Certainly me and Joe do. So when are they coming?
2: I'm not one for rushing. I think, you know, you do see the Irish starting them off quite young and doing. We have had them up the gallop. We know that we know the quick. You know, we, when we put them up the gallop, we know what we've got, sort of thing. So we we know the quick. They've got lovely confirmation in Adam and they've got everything what she had, sort of thing. But until you get to the track and you get them around the track, You don't really know, do you? You can can break your heart at that point in time and go, oh, but you still had all that dream for all that length of time, looking at them growing up. So I think they're coming 15 months soon now. So I haven't named them. You know, I still haven't done the paperwork for naming them. I'm I'm a bit, I am a bit lax like that, but I think I'm lax like that because I don't want to rush. I think, well, while they're not named, I can't take them there. I'm not in a rush. You know, sooner you start, sooner you finish. So I think, so, you know, let them mature up, let them build up. And I'd probably turn around and say, October November time sort of time that's when they'll come on and we'll see what they are and I'm actually Enloe will be the place where i start them off it's such a lovely track mm-hmm. you know I think the shape of the track everything. It's it's ideal for safe racing because you're not going into the bends too quick because you've got more sort of bends you've got the three straights so it is a really good track and you think the champions what they've started off around Enloe with all the Westmeads, you know he started all the champions off there. So, it's it will be a track which I want to take the pups to, to to start off. Now, hopefully, Enloe's still there at this point in time. So, you know, that's it. Keep your fingers crossed because I love the place. So, you know, that's where they'll go. So, might not be able to run them in graded racing out there around there, hopefully. You know, that's another thing. To but saying that, it's, you know, the top grade at Enloe, it's a good top grade. It really is. I mean, my Blake, who they ran in the Maiden, done a 27-26. Well, he's graded on there. You know, he's A1 runs on there and he gets beaten. He A1s on there sometimes. You know, he wins his first year. Mm. But that just shows you the calibre where you've got decent dogs coming around to come around Enloe and, and he's done the fastest time of the lot, and he's graded on there. So, it's a good grade. You can go from a top grade low to run anywhere. So, you know, if they run top grade, I'll still be happy.
1: Well, fingers crossed. We'll keep an eye out for sure. We'll try and uh, update the listeners as well if they're not already following you on on Twitter to see how they do but uh, you can't beat the excitement of a, of a litter coming through you know especially when they're out of one of your top bitches and stuff you know really exciting times
2: we did uh Mark came over on Monday and we got one out and you know I said I'm gonna I said I've not name, named him yet but actually I have a point I'm putting him down as Salikas business because I I've said he is the business So I, says, I can't fit the name in the business and I thought I've got to have Salikas in there I nearly turned around and went I'm forgetting the Sally because I'm just gonna call him the business.
1: <laughs> I've not
2: seen one name that yet. So I I know that somebody else will pinch that name. Uh, but he did a little uh a video of him the other day and stuff and actually it was quite a video, which the dog looked a picture in there like he was shining nice. So yeah, fingers crossed, it's
1: it's something to look forward to, isn't it? because business, look out, put him in your notebooks, you heard it here first. <laughs> Now, most of the dogs, are you, well, you alluded to it earlier, like most of the dogs you own yourself and you have a handful of owners. Was that a conscious decision um, not to get involved in that side of things? Or do you just like owning a load of dogs yourself?
2: Uh, <laughs> I've always been an owner myself, to be quite honest. I remember and we've always had dogs at home, but I did have a couple of dogs with licensed trainers on the licensed track. And I'm not saying I had a bad experience, but I didn't have good experiences. So my <laughs> thoughts was on... I like to have a bet. I've always been a bit of a gambler. I like, I like to have a punt. And we had a dog once at Cradley Heath with a, a trainer there. Actually, I can say the name because she, she's dead now, Nita Brawl. She was a good friend of my dad's. And Nita was a, a cracking wood girl. But she was on Cradley Heath. Anyway, we went down, going to bet this dog. So we went down there. I'm trying to think what his name is now. We had him, called him as George, because we had him on the flats afterwards. Mm-hmm. But anyway, we sent him down there, and she says, yeah, get your money on. And this dog returned no offers, because we had the lot on. And we, honestly, the dog was quick, he could run. And we knew, because we'd had him on the independence, but we'd not had him on the outside air. We bet this dog, and I tell you, he must have led four or five times, but on the line, he was beat. He wasn't having the outside air whatsoever. And she says, he's not having the air, is he? I thought... Don't tell me come going to pet this dog. And then we've had the lot on. It's no offers returned because we've just took everything to put on the board. And you now you're telling me he's not having the outside air. So I was like, oh. So we brought him out. Never had a dog there there again. And then we had a dog, uh, a couple of dogs on Nottingham. Uh, and yet again, I like to have a bet. So somebody tells you, oh, yeah, you can bet the dog, Peter. Well, what do you want on to train? That's why you say, well, what do you want on? Well, I don't want to think on. Well, if it's good bet, why don't you want to have a bet? So, anyway, dog got beat. A week after, I think I I got to go work to Hamburg. Went to Hamburg, the dog run, and won. So, I was like, oh, well, that's my second in, incursion into uh, regulation, racing. So, I bought that dog home. I've never had another dog with another, another trainer. I think I, say I'm not, I think I might have had legs in dogs. Or I think I've had legs in a couple of horses while we're training. So, that's it's just really just for having the crack with your mates and stuff, not for any serious reason for having dogs with other people. So, and then we got a license and that's why I've always had dogs myself. The reason I've never had owners, probably from Punting's perspective again, is if I've lost my money, I don't want someone to give me ear hold that they've lost money, because I'm already upset because I've lost my own money. Uh, Lee, who's a pal now, was an owner with uh, Anna Thompson, and he had a litter of pups with Anna Thompson. And she just said to me, will you have this little Peter? And I said, oh, Anna, I don't you know, I don't like having dogs for people. She went, he's really good. He's really nice. I said, you sure, Anna? She says, I'm telling you, Peter, I won't turn him across to you if he wasn't. I said, righto. And you know what? He's been mint. He's been absolutely spot on. So that's it. So it's really like me, Mark and, and Lee. And now I've got guys decided he to have some shares. And I wanted him to really get into owning dogs because I wanted him to understand the side of the cost side of things. So... Mm-hmm. He has to pay his way. He has to understand what things cost. Because if he's going to take over, he needs to start understanding that side of the, the business as well, would not he? So so now guy's into a few things as well. So he's got a share of a puppy in the field now, and he's he thinks she's going to be a champion. So <laughs> that's not that's, uh, one of Pippies. That's one of – did you see Sally Custachew at Henlow? She ran in the maiden. One of the she's not a bad little bit. But this is the the next litter on from Sally Thatcher. The cheeky puppies, but they the, the
0: look great. Oh, uh, I am so envious when you're talking about the puppies. I have to say, I absolutely love them. When I went to the David Titterton's, I mean, I just had a smile on my face for about two weeks afterwards because yeah. they just—they're they're great. Like not therapy, but you know, they're—they're they're really good to just lift your mood, boost you every day, probably as well when you see them bouncing around. And
2: I mean, my mother used to always really do it when she was younger and she was able. She's not now. My mother's not in a great condition anymore so she can't do them she still comes out washes the pots up now and again but she, my, my mother's days are really numbered sort of thing so it's like we do the pups now but when she used to do them, she used to come back and she'd be covered head to toe a bit like you were when you went
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: back and just been like she's been attacked and i used to say around and go you know what one day she's not going to come back she's not going to come back and we're going to be like has anybody seen my mother for a couple of days <laughs> she must be sleeping the pups <laughs> and she said, "I'm not doing them anymore. They're the worst litter we've ever had, or what?" like, "But now she just heard that headlines is coming over, and she's going to be well down over here. This is the first British spread litter we're going to have with her." And my mother just said, said, "We're not going to have any more pups." That. And I've of like, "Mark, uh, guy says your mum says she's not doing them. She's having nothing to do with it. You're doing them yourself. You'll be up at four in the morning. You'll be doing I went, "Yeah, well, Wait till they come along. Wait till you're going to be in like My mother'll be in there." And she'll have a deck chair in there. She'll be sleeping in the place and stuff and watching her over. And it's just like, but just my mother good. Give her a perfect life. Even though she's not able to do what things she used to do, her mind's still with her 100%. And she's mustered. She'll make sure everybody. she'll be on top of everybody. You need to do this. Even though she can't do it herself. She'll be telling everyone what to do. And even now when it comes to feeding the pups, like I said, I moan all the time. I if like, you get me skimp, mother. If you don't do them right now, there's no point when it comes. And I'm like, yeah i know you're right i know you're right all right then but you've got to have the grumble <laughs> if you don't you're not right so but she's just really my mother's brilliant with the pups all our pups they come and they look all people say they've been really done well and she does she feeds them well it cost me a fortune but they are <laughs> so i have to thank my mother for all the pups what we've had it's been mother what it's down to real.
0: that's amazing because they, you know, everybody that we've spoken to, and I've spoken to a few people over the years as well. Um, I think I've been in for a decade now in greyhound racing, and they all say it's the quality of the rearing that makes them the star on the track. And yeah. from what we've heard, you know, you've got the the facilities, you've got, you know, they they sound like they run absolutely riot in the paddocks, totally yeah. as well, Peter. So, is that what you do? You you just let them kind of
2: the, roam about and strengthen 24 up and do seven,
0: all that twenty four seven? They're
2: there and. I did go over to the follow man Desi Lockery, who I thought was another legend of the game. And looking up before Desi passed, we went over there and you know we looked around his place. And you learn off people. Mm-hmm. And I'd already got, I'd always got sort of straight paddocks. And then when you come to the uh, the track and stuff, you know you've got to learn to run around bends. Well, he got bends in his paddocks, and I thought I'm doing that. I'm doing that. So I went and I pulled. So we've got paddocks which go up and then go round so it's like really a track as in such where they'll go around so they go up that way there's two round you know you're always like sometimes you're old your hands because you come see and i tell you what they do learn and as soon as the first little up we've done it went on track went around bends like honestly it was natural just comes natural to them so that was you know you go and you you, you learn off people you are looking you learn off the right people, that's one thing you've got to do. Make sure you learn off the right people and it's knowing. And you do. If they're producing quality dogs, you know they're doing something right. So that's why you pick up off it. The gallop what we put in, we went to the commerce, the Susie Sapphire people went there, went on this gallop and I thought, This is beautiful. So how did you do your gallop? What did you do with the told us whatever? And I said, to Mark, that's what we're doing with our gallop. And when Liam came, he said, This gallop's beautiful. You know, what did you do? And I said, Well, actually we went to the Comerfords and we Learned off them and wanted to put the same thing in back at home mark like and stuff so you know it's it's really pinching other people's ideas and looking what other people are doing and trying to you're not better in it because as far as I'm concerned they've done the best thing anyway and you just try and replicate it and stuff so that's what we've done
1: When it comes to training Peter are you someone who sets yourself targets every year um, and if so what was your target for 2023 and are you keeping up with it?
2: This is a real boring one for you this is because it's a plain no I don't, think, I don't think targets really – some people obviously do do that, but I don't look at it as a business. I want to make this much money or anything like this. So, you know, I think if you break even, you've done very well in this business. Uh, is it a case of having so many winners? Well, then you're going to beat yourself up if you don't achieve that. And sometimes it's not always because you're doing things wrong that you've not had so many winners what you had the year before. You might not have the numbers. You, know, you might have injuries. So I'm not one for targets, to be quite honest. So that, that's a, a very easy one for you
0: easy i like it um to be fair i don't think i think sometimes if you do set yourself targets you can focus on that more than the enjoyment of a sport or a job or whatever you're doing and it it does take away the enjoyment sometimes so i'm with you i don't think i'd be setting targets either if i was you um right we're going to go from the training side to the trainer's rep at the gbgb Tell us more about what that involves, because I know you've just signed up for another three years, but I'm not sure if that was just under duress, (laughs) Peter. Uh,
2: It it was sort of like duress. Uh, I promised the wife I wasn't going to do it again, Uh, and she wasn't very happy when (laughs) I said I am doing it again. And the only reason I said I would do it again is if nobody else wanted to do it. Uh, I was a bit worried if somebody else did want to do it and they were going to be the wrong sort of person, Mm. because... I didn't want somebody going in for two or three months, four months, realising I'm wasting my time and coming out of it again because you've got to go in there with your eyes wide open. Everybody who's gone in is an owner's rep role. I've tried to talk to them beforehand. Before, it, normally, actually, before they're even put in for the role, most of them have rang me up and I've tried to talk, talk to them and explain to them exactly what the role is. And I see the role you just get the voice heard. You know, I did see, I think one of the points is, that you know, what have you achieved? And I think I've been there six years now. I think the one thing I had, I got in was the DQs because I never liked the fact that something could happen and your dog were disqualified and you've not had a say, you know, you, there might be extinguishing circumstances. You couldn't put anything forward. And I think one of the biggest things for that was I had a dog which bought off Charlie Lister uh, and it's... He turned it said it, Nottingham. Anyway, I, I thought this would be all right, this dog. And uh I wasn't running on the flaps all. I think I might have bought it for somebody to run on the flats, but ended up a I kept the dog. Uh and he got an injury. So the dog had obviously turned his head because he picked up an injury in the race, etc. And you know, you know a bad dog straight away. Anybody who's in dog dog racing, you'll spot a dog and you think that's a bad one. It's an accident waiting to happen, really. Well, that dog wasn't. It was a dog called Farlow Giant, and he was a really, really good dog. So I took him off. Anyway, we got him his his injury sorted out, got everything sorted, took him out, run him a few times around the schooling tracks, and he was phenomenal. The dog was a fly machine. So I thought, well, taking Milton Keynes, getting cleared at Milton Keynes. Went to Milton Keynes. He broke his hock. Well, when he broke his hock at the top end, he's obviously gone, gone over, whacked a dog on the way over. But warned him off, warned him off. And I was like, are you having a laugh? So this is when I was like a bit new to the licence sort of game. So I went to the race, and I went, the dog broke, his sock. Well, decision's gone now, I've announced it, Job done. It's, it's, so the dog couldn't run licence ever again. I, saw, I thought, so I've always had it in my mind, this disqualification game is not right. You know, people can't make a snap decision in five minutes. And that could curtail the career of a dog. And that dog, we actually, it got repaired. and The dog broke track records on independent tracks. The dog was, even when we were broken up, the dog was a machine. I think he got beat at uh, Nottingham by a dog called Ballymack nylock I think Harry Finlay had the, had the dog. The dog was a fast, fast dog. So I always had this idea that this disqualification had got to be looked at. So that's really the only thing I've ever managed. And it took me three years. From the start of me trying to push it through, it took three years to get it through. And it's like, and I see other people wanting to have things, and like three weeks or a month down the line, it's in. I mean, you look at the four-day rule, the impact, what that's had on things. Now, I was actually in agreement on that over the principle of it because I did see dogs being overrun. Now, that isn't just trainers. There's a two-way thing there because racing managers are asking for the dogs and putting dogs on the card, so you know it's a two-way thing. So something had to be done. I took advice or spoke to a few prominent trainers who I've got respect for, uh, and so did Paul Kopito, who who pushed for it to be come in. And what came back to me was there was four-day rule was going to be acceptable. Now on hindsight, you look back and. I probably now made Aaron of the position, but professional trainers, it should be professional trainers right to do what they think right by a dog. You know, I've had a good chat, David Mullins, and he's had dogs where they need the quick runs. I think he's had a couple of them just lately, which they need them quick to keep them on. And there is, but sometimes you work to your weakest link. And that's why I, I try to explain to people when people have pushed back to me about it. I went, you're all right. You do things right. But we have speed links on roads because sometimes you get people, what, are going go too fast? You might drive sensible, but we have to legislate and do things for the ones what don't. So I said, I know it seems unfair sometimes, but in any walk of life, you've always got to look to the weakest link and it, it might seem unfair, but that's what you have to work to. So that came in. So, But the disqualification, I think that's really the only thing I've ever, ever done. There's other mainly my main point is he's getting the voice out there for the, the ground trainer and you know the bond I don't know whether i will get bothered by saying it but when it first came along there was 600 pound which we've muted as being it's now 200 and the GB put 200 but it was going to be the owners or trainers 600 pound and I, I honestly I was in despair I thought you'll finish this overnight and people have said some people said we can't afford 600 pound shouldn't be in the game this is a working man's game. Some dogs don't cost six hundred pounds, and I really had to fight tooth and nail on that because I just I was adamant. So I've got a little pups there. I think I've got ten. That's six grand for a little. Oh well, without British breeding reading out, we'll do this and that. Anyway, it, so getting the voice out there and battling got it to a position where actually, even though some people might not be happy about it, two hundred, it's more acceptable than six hundred. You know, and. Where they talk about rehoming with with the bonds, I don't think any money will cure the rehoming crisis. I know I've offered plenty of money and some dogs to rehome. It's cost me a lot of money, and what I've been willing to pay to rehome dogs doesn't get you a home. So when they, I think they're looking again and, and contemplating the bond money going up, etc. It's not bad money. We've got to look at things totally different to what you're looking at. I think the issue with the bomb it came along when COVID came along and it looked so good because everybody wanted pets at home and it came in at the same time. So it made it look like this was a marvellous cure, what sorted all the problems out. And it wasn't. It was just because of COVID and people have got to accept it's not working. And we've got to look at things to start afresh start a and, and have another look at it because the reopening is getting crisis point. So, you know, it's, that's a big one you know the bond scheme for me for what what value it was coming at it's the voice of the trainer to turn and say it's not going to work for us it's not going to work for the sport and it's that voice and that's why I took the role on again because we've got to have that voice in there. you know I do shout loud so I suppose my voice does get heard. you know I upset people I've been in some I've been on the uh, in trouble many times but I think you've got to do it with passion and I think you've got to do it in a professional manner but you've got to get across there. If things really do need pointing out and pushing, you've got to get across there. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm upsetting people at the moment because I think there's a few things which have gone off on the, really in the public eye where we talk about welfare and we do things and we can move one step forward and things happen and it puts us five steps back. And I said, we can't have it. We can't have it. You know, we've got people out there now, organisations battling hard to try and finish us off and we're just dropping things in the lap. And it's like, it's not acceptable. It's not not acceptable with trainers. Welfare's on trainers all the time. It's got to be across the board, you know, because certain areas of this sport are in the public eye and they've got to get things a million percent right. And it's upsets me and I'm very passionate when I get onto them about these sort of things because it's got to be right.
1: Yeah. And all, all major stakeholders should, should have a voice with the GBGB. It's, it's extremely important. I mean, what does it involve the actual role? Do you, is there like a board meeting once a quarter that you attend? And then you're also, you have a direct line to anyone. If you have an issue with something, you know, to someone at the GBGB and you can call them up and say, this is not acceptable. Or I think this is something that needs to be done.
2: Uh, we, I think we have about eight board meetings a year. So that'll be eight times I have to go down to London uh, and sit on board meetings. We have a lot committee committee meetings, so with the advent of Zoom, etc., that's made it a lot better. So it, it you know it can still cause you a load of issues within within your day sort of realm. I did say this time if I took the role on, I wanted to be able to put other people into some of these committees. Uh, I sort of I like could sort that out, and then people realise what time and effort it takes to sit on these committees. They pull back or oh, I can't do that day, and it's like well. That's the role. You know, you, you can't suddenly say I'm not doing it. And I, it might sound a bit, a bit funny on me, but I don't like to miss things because I think I don't want things pushing through, which I know they might try and push through if I'm not there. And if I've let down and not got to that meeting, and it's gone through, it's my own fault. I, I should have been there. So I, I'm quite, I don't know whether that's a crop control sort of thing, but <laughs> I, I, I worry that I think so if it's going to a contentious, that if I'm not on that meeting it'll go through while I'm not there so I'm, I'm gonna be there so you know I have tried to get people to sit on them and some of the committees I'd like other people to sit down because I think they've got a better skill set to sit on that committee uh, I mean one was on the welfare committee I was asked I asked Phil Milner to sit on it because he's he's a, he's a clever world. You know, he's he's hands-on, he he knows the physiques of the dog and, you know, he's that side of things, and I think he'll be good because a lot of that there is dealing with the vets and I I need somebody who can argue our case better, whereas they they might come up with some technical stuff and I'm like, oh, I'm a little bit lost here, so I can't put the argument forward or can't compete because I'm not as clever as them on that subject, etc. And you have to know your strengths and weaknesses, don't you? So I think I want Phil to go on there because that is a big major committee where a lot of decisions are made and I want to make sure the trainers have a real good skill set on there that I might not be good enough for sort of thing. So uh, he couldn't do the last one, but I'm hoping he can get onto the next one, Phil. So that'd be a a good one. Yeah, you have have other committees rules reviewing different things, but a lot of them are Mm quite... Quite steady. Uh, what did you say? Again? What else?
1: Yeah, can you can you just call up the GBG? You know, uh, so if it's yeah. an incident or whatever, uh, do you have a direct line? Yeah. Someone there?
2: yeah, so we've got a new chap now uh, who's been there quite a while, but moved into uh, what Paul Inwood used to do. Now Duncan. Now Duncan's very very good. I get on with Duncan really well. I can talk to him, etc. I can have a good conversation, and I know I can have a private conversation where I can say, Duncan, this ain't right. You know, something needs to be done, blah, blah, blah. And Duncan's dead straight. And he'll talk to me dead straight. And we'll sort things out. So that Duncan's really good that I can go direct to Duncan. We've got a director of regulation, Phil Law. Phil Law is straight to the die. He's, he used to be in the public defence side of things, on in the legal system and stuff. But he is dead straight. You know, I could talk to Phil and only get back... What well, I should get back in reality, where sometimes you want to be able to talk to somebody and say, like, "You know, what's the score here and this and that?" Phil is just straight job Paul. Now, as a direct regulation, you want that really mm-hmm. because I you know whatever he does, he's going to be dead straight. If Paul Mark Pierpoint, he foul foul or something, and it's like you know, I can't do anything for you more. Phil Law is dead straight, and you're going to, have to get dealt with, and that's however else is going to be. So you want that, you know? You want it. sometimes in my role. You wanna be able to the inside story or have a chat, but then actually when you look and you think, Now nah, I want someone who's dead straight in that role, and that's Philip, Phil Law. Now, when I have issues, which I've just now on something what I've seen on social media, which got passed over to me, and I hadn't actually seen it when I did see it. I thought, this is unbelievable. I can't. So I've emailed i email through to the chairman, I've the welfare lady Madeline Campbell in there, Mark Bird, and that and so on say, We need to do something about this, and they'll they'll be on it. So that's good where I have that direct line to them. If I want to ring the chairman up, if it's something really, really bad, and I want to ring Jeremy up, Jeremy will know it's something really bad if I had to ring him. And I do think to myself, I might upset people because I've bypassed everybody and gone to Jeremy, but I think, look, this needs sorting out. And I want I want the main man having it, so I know we will get sorted out. So you know, even though Jeremy's the man who'll probably give me a and on something, but I might upset everybody, I still get on with Jeremy well enough that, he knows if I come to him, you know, he, he, he'll know. He knows it's serious, and he'll say, "Yeah, we'll get that sorted out, like and stuff." And this, what I've said now for me, is one of the most serious things I've seen and I'm really upset about. So they they will get it sorted out. So well, it has been sorted. It just should never have happened.
0: You were talking, you know, for the first three years, you had in your mind that you wanted to sort out the DQs. Do you have anything in mind considering you kind of? jumped into this and said, well, I wasn't going to sign up for it, but I am going to sign up for it. Do you have anything that you're going to do or that you've got your eye on pushing for in the next three?
2: I think, I'm trying to think, uh, I spoke to Mark earlier on about this one because I was trying to think of what the word word were and it weren't controversial. It was, I was looking for the word to say, I'm going to push back more to the GB, Whereas things are being pushed onto trainers all the time and I just don't think it's acceptable that we're getting the bear all of everything. We've gone through the kennel standards, improvements and stuff. Fair enough. Lots of things what have been done, I don't disagree with. It's right. The stuff coming through now where I think people are pushing this welfare-minded stuff too far. You know, we've got jobs to do it, etc. You know, we're always going to be on top of welfare, but the sport cannot just be solely about welfare. We've got to do commercials, I think. we've got to have the sport as well. So I said, you know, we need things coming back which the, the trainers want now. We want to see some things which will, will suit us. And I think for these next three years, I think I'm going to be a bit more pushed back. Mm. And so, you know what? Our trainers, we've had trainers, we've had our lot now. The stuff really what we want to be seen done, like the we've got injury uh, recovery screen. Now, I'm all about good we've got this money for the injury recovery scheme, but where's the preventative maintenance? Where's the prevention better than cure? You know, fair enough, you're going to repair me. It's like me going down the road and there's no speed limit. and Somebody turns and says, well, don't worry, if you have a crash, we'll pay for your car. You know, we'll take you to hospital. So, yeah, no, 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 hang on a minute. We've got a speed limit there because we don't want you crashing your car. We don't want you getting hurt. So I'm like, right, let's put things in place for the prevention. Now, people have always been very standoffish when it comes to the injuries. Because I think a certain sector of this sport think we're always looking at them. And I think to myself, they're a big part of it, but it's like a cake and there's sections and they might be a big section of it, what's got to be looked at. But there's other points where there's breeding, your genetics, is your rearing, your training, injury detection, whereas you might have a minor injury and then you've not detected it because you in the job where people are training to do whatever, they might be short to staff or not quite have the attributes to do all that. So sort of. there's so much what comes into injuries, and if we all just turn around and go, Well, we don't want to look at us, we'll never get to the root cause of a lot of things. We're never going to get to zero. Mm-hmm. I, I say to people all the time, If you're going to get to zero euthanasia, it ain't going to happen, mm-hmm. you know, because you have to be in real life, you know, and some things it's terrible, but it will happen. But let's get it as low as we can in the right way and ask, i've been pushing that to have a, a data analysis now i've pushed it no end of times and said yeah we're going to do it we're going to do it well no don't keep telling me you're going to do it let's let's get it done i've even given people who are know at this point in time very very top class people out of a job things have happened well you know what it might only be a year's opportunity but actually these people have been bang on you could never even think you could ever get them to do the job but it just drops at the right time. Get them in there. Start seeing where these injuries happened. Start doing some mapping. You know, is it at the same bend or is it the same injury? Is it the same trainer on the same track? So is a trainer having more injuries than somebody else? Why is that? Might not be the track what they've done at home because if all the other trainers are being all right. That training is happening. You know, there's so many things that once you start looking at the data, you can then start pinpointing, pinpoint and looking and see where it is. We're not doing it. We've not been doing it for so long. Whereas now injuries, what could have been stopped or prevented, Yeah, you might have repaired them, prevent it. You know? Then we haven't got to have so many dogs coming into the system and then there's not so many going out. So sort of the rehoming side of things is easing off as well because you're not rehoming. And it's going to be far home harder rehoming dogs which have had an injury, which might need ongoing care. I know lots of trains which have got dogs in there yeah, thank you very much, we repaired, we repaired them, and they're living a nice life now most of the time, but I can't be home because people don't want to know what's not 100%, you might be on medication or something other, like so we've got, and so I think from the three years now, people might be dislike me even more now, so I might be turning around and saying, as trainers, we're not, we do need tra- full trainer support, and I do see on there where one of your points was, trainers don't pull together, and the reason we're in the situation sometimes like we are, financial side of things, is because strangers don't work together. Mm-hmm. And within this sport, the sport's always been a mentality of divide and conquer. Now, when contracts came out, people were paid different money. People were paid because it's always to keep this bit of divide. I was the last person who was shown a contract. People the day before had had a contract, never even told me contracts were coming out. And I was the last person who had the contract. And I probably got one of the best deals of anybody. And yet then when I left and people found out I'd been on this deal, suddenly they all got a face on them. Well, how come you've got a deal like that? Well, hang on a minute, couldn't do anything with you. You took the money and run as soon as the deal was in front of you, and I was the last one to do a deal. So don't come moaning at me when you've all grabbed and thought you were getting a good deal, where in reality you weren't getting a good deal, you know, and it's it just annoys you. Nobody comes together. And there's no point beating your head around thinking you'd ever get to come together because they won't. There's a lot of old old people in this sport who are in retirement, doing it as a bit of a hobby, don't want to rock the boat. Well you're never gonna get pull them along. And also I have people ring me up saying, Oh, we ought to go on strike. What are you going on strike for? Well, we need to get rid of we need to get rid of these promoters or whatever, and we'll run some what are you gonna run? What do you mean? Or oh, the main thing is let's get rid of the GBGB. Right, so what are you gonna do then? Well, we'll have our own uh sporting governing body. Well, where are you going to run then? Well, what, what do you mean, where are you going to run? Well, you've got promoters on the board of the GBGB who are happy how things are, so why are they going to turn and go, fair enough, let's get rid of the GB? I said, so you've got to where to run. So you're right, straight away, oh, yeah, I never thought about that. I think it's tough. You know, sometimes you wonder what planet people are sat on. So I think, so, you know, people are a bit down in the dumps and want things to change, and I think, so, right, well, I think people will come together if we turn around and say, right, the stuff what has been coming our way, we're going to turn around and say, have it back. We're not doing it at this point in time. We're not, not racing. We're not doing this now. All we're turning around and saying is, we've had our fill for now. Go and look elsewhere. We'll give you some of these lists that we want happening. Start looking at some of them. When you've looked at some of them and you start getting some of these in place, then come back to us and then we'll start discussing us doing a bit more. But we are already done a hell of a lot. It costs us a lot. Don't try and push us any further because we're at our limits now. We need to see you lot start to do a little bit extra. So I think that's – my next three years is going to be a bit more probably being disliked by certain people and just pushing back and turning and saying, we've had our fill. It's time for you lot to start your data analysis. Get these out. Let's start getting these figures down and let's start working together on your side of things, not just on ours
1: yeah it's for for me like the data collection and then using that data to push the industry forward is one thing that frustrates me and the longer you're not doing it you know the longer you're not collecting the data we could have have already had three years of data now and had some great stuff to analyze and and, and make changes but it's just not it's not happening
2: what you don't realize is what who owns the data should be the sport
0: Mm.
2: we don't own the data promoters own the data everything i just think to yourself why is the sport not got control of its own future and different things like that? And it's like,
1: but but if you're, if you're in control of giving out the licenses to promoters, then you should be able to say one of the conditions of us giving you the licenses that you share our data and, and, and giving out those licenses should hold certain conditions like that. I mean, it's not. um well, rocket well, that's like,
2: well, that's where it annoys me on the makeup of the board and how things work. And I'm not speaking out of place because I think people understand how, how it works, but, when somebody's got so much power within that organisation, why are they going to have anything but then fires on? So like you are saying there, well, if you don't do this, you're not going to have a licence. Well, who's making them decisions and who's in charge of those who's making them decisions? So if your boss, you go to your boss and turn around and go, if you don't do this, this is going to happen. The boss turns around and say, well, I don't like you anymore. You're down the road and we'll get someone else who won't. And it's it's that sort of situation. You know, yeah. I think so. yeah. That's why there's so much really wrong within the sport because we can't do certain things because it some within the positions, might not like that change
1: because, but it's short sighted though, Peter. Because, like you said, it's going to you know, these things are going to drive welfare, promotion of the sport, interest in the sport, and everyone's going to benefit from that. It's not just you know, the promoters are going to benefit from that, like you said, the rehoming and the injury data. The promoters are going to benefit from that because the, you know, we can share data about how not to get injured or how to treat certain
2: whatever it may be. If the sport flourishes, we all flourish. And I'll talk to somebody, the other then who was on about, oh, we might lose some tracks and you know then we'll have all, all places all full all the time because there's less of all this. And that. I said, this idea of less is better. is complete and utter Codswallop. I said, you want a thriving industry which then boosts everybody. Because if you go to a track down the road here which is booming, when you've gone to Manchester and you turn and go, I've had your night at, I'll go to that track. You know, you want a thriving village town or a village a city centre. You want it thriving because all the shops within that city centre – all get a boost from it. And also, you have to look at it from a political side of things. If we're a booming sport, we've got more pull politically. We get smaller and smaller and smaller. Political side of things, are will turn around and go, that's aggro. We don't need that agro. What's it bring to the, the the party? What's it bring to the financial stability of the country? What's it And Not a lot. Get it gone. We don't need it. Whereas if you're booming and you're flying, they turn around and go, you know what? That provides 100,000 jobs. It's producing so much money, all this and that, we're trying to go, right, what do we need to do to support this? And, yeah, you know what? There might be changes needed, but we'll help them do them changes. But if you're not thriving, you're not booming, they turn and go, you know what? It's not worth the aggro. Get it gone. So, you know, we have all got to be in it together to all boom and pros- prosper.
0: I agree. Um, yeah, I mean, this has been one of the most fascinating interviews, Peter, as well, I've had my eyes opened, that is for sure. And Joe, I think you should go for a seat on the board.
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> I
2: mean, yeah. I mean the, the owner's reps. not everybody's cup of tea at this point in time. But, you know, he brought a different side to the party. Mm. You know, he, he's, he's very clever. He's a very clever man. Uh, he goes with a good argument on certain things, which I wouldn't do because he's far cleverer than me. You know, on the legal side of things, different things. And you do need that. You, but I do understand you need that social media, you need the interaction with people and stuff. And on Twitter, I'm always talking to people. And when I'm out and about because you've got to, people have got to realise. And people ring me up all the time. And I, I, honestly, you get some right weird phone calls and stuff. And you just think, so, oh, do I need this? I mean, I may say, you're out meeting, up. What are you t- who are you talking to? Whatever. I'm saying, i not just having a quick conversation. But honestly, it can be an army because I think so, uh, I'm in a position where I've got to talk to people. I think you know if you come into the role, these roles, you've got to accept that, and you can't, you can't get you back up. I'm one of these sort of people that's so thick-skinned. I'm so thick. As soon as I took the role on, I had, and it's not just from outside; you get people from within, within what tell lies and tell stupid things, and you have not got to turn around and think you've always got to try and fight back and fight back. Because I would hate to imagine what it'd be like for these people in the political side of things, and you know. You'll actually see Donald Trump on Twitter, who went on there himself. I think so. Honestly, he must have skin thicker than elephant skin. because. <laughs> well, actually, he probably do, does get upset on certain things. But, honestly, some of the abuse, what you get off, off things like that, and that, you think, so, you know what, I know the truth. And as long as you're happy with what you're doing and you, you're happy on the, and the people closest around you know the truth and know what's right, you, you move on like and stuff. and you, you know. I ream a lot of dogs from a. Uh, she was at Doncaster, a lady up, up in Scotland. And people think she's like but, and a lady. She's not. She's very much so welfare. And she thinks the GB aren't doing enough on certain side of things. Well, she, there was a list put out about my dogs, which were also was missing for years and years and years. And I said to her, I said, you never give me any. Other. She went, I had loads of them. I went, well, she says, I just don't get involved. because She says, I know the truth. I went, Good. I said, that's it. As long as people know the truth around you, it's all okay. But I would say, if dogs get good homes, as long as they, that's my main purpose, as long as they get good homes, because I had a lot of grief dealing with the lady. I get with really, really well. Lots of people don't. But dogs get good homes. I've dropped them off to places. So I dropped off Salikas Armani to a place near that Bangers in Cash. Uh, have you seen the program, of the Cash? It's in a little, oh, up in Yorkshire somewhere. So picturesque. And I dropped off to this couple, loveliest couple, our older couple. You couldn't meet enough. But couple. I was sat there. And I was must there two hours having a chat with and all this and that. And dealing with them where they dealt with somebody who was, could be part of the ante and then they've met a trainer who's had some mega negative stuff on social media and I've turned up there, chat sat down in two hours. Suddenly they turn around and go, you know what? All trainers aren't like this and all, you know, the sport's not all like this and that. And I think, so I've come away from there and I rang him the next day, as the dog and all that, and I saw some posts on social media. I'm so pleased I met this trainer. They're not all what people are saying and all this and that. And he even rang us the next day to see how the dog was and all this. And I thought, well, why wouldn't you? You know, I've not done that because I do not want to get PR or anything, but I think so. Why wouldn't you? And suddenly then you're breaking down barriers when people are turning and go, you know what? Actually, a lot of this might be just spiel. And that's what we are dealing with a lot with the aunties. Because a lot of it's all fun- funded. They're all like that, pound notes, all like that, pound notes. And that's all what it's about to a lot of people. It's about the power. You know, there's some genuine people out there who want, who want to do the best by things.
0: <laughs> but, yeah, it's one of those, isn't it? If you if you can look yourself in the mirror at the end of the day and think, I've done a good day's work. I've done it, you know, I'm proud of what I've done. I'm proud of what I've achieved. My dogs are well looked after. It's all you can ask for.
2: Yeah. You don't have to worry about people. You just turn around and go, you know what? As long as I know what's right, it's right. It's good
0: enough now talking about the um way into the sport for young people obviously you've got a guy trying to break in at the moment and you're teaching him you know the the value of um or the costs that come with the sport how do you get more young people that haven't maybe grown up in the sport to become interested in it and and maybe think of it as a viable career option
2: we go back to how the sport used to be and get people in stadiums you know the media what they've done, daytime meetings, morning meetings, the money what has been got from bookmakers by promoters, they took the eye, eye off the ball about the leisure pound. The leisure pound's very, very tough and it's very hard, but it can be very lucrative if things are done correctly. But the money from the bookmakers has been such a, a cash cow to them. I don't think they've been that worried about the hard work for the leisure pound. And that's not good because we've got a lot of people coming into the sport from outside because the youngsters aren't coming seeing it or like that talking to, to trainers you can't pull somebody off the street and tell to go well you fancy your job as being a trainer you know you, you, just, you just don't do it you wouldn't go into a, a careers office and see a job advert for being a, a ground trainer or never did look at that you know they wouldn't do it but if they've been coming to a local track coming out for a night owl sitting the dog seeing the racing they get involved and in I think you know I like that come a bit more regular, you know that's how they get into it. That's how I got into it. Went to the track, and then suddenly I got a bit of a part-time job with my dad, and then I did this and went. You know, that's how people get into it. And it's, I think the hardest problem is nowadays is the value of land and and kennels, etc. You know, I think things might go back a bit to like they used to do in the olden days, where tracks owned their own kennels. You know, I can't see that around. People have muted a few things to me that you know, there's been the shortage of job dogs and some real big outfits who own tracks have turned around and thought what do we need to do because it's it doesn't matter what you offer monetary wise out there etc you know if say ronford offered me a load of money it's too far away it doesn't matter what you offer me i can't go well they realize now their options are so limited you know so i think some of these these companies might turn around and I go you know what we need to start turning some of our own kennels now that then does give an opportunity because it's the person coming in to want to be a trainer, might work as a kennel hand in, these, in these facilities, they could then step up to being a trainer. So I think the way forward might be to actually get into it, might be through the old-fashioned scenario where tracks employ or have own kennels, which they can let out to, to people. And, you know, it's not such a costly thing. Yeah, the only people we've seen youngsters coming through, it's like the Reese family, whereas... His dad was a trainer, one big thing, Then the son comes along and now you've got the grandson coming along, which might then go and take over. You know, it's not so many of them stories anymore like that, but they're, they're the youngsters, what you see coming through. It's like me, me with Guy. You know, I might find somewhere and set him up with a smaller place where I turn and go, you know, I'll retire. Find you a smaller place, and which you can manage yourself and do like. But to get into it from scratch... If you haven't got family backing, you couldn't do it. You know, and actually, I never wanted my sons going into it. It's it's not good for a family life. You know, it's long hours, it's very long hours, it's poor pay. And if you're wanting to start a family, you get a mortgage. Anybody who thought they were gonna be getting the mortgage, having a family and having a career as a ground trainer, you'd be bust every night. You would be bust every night. If you went to the bank and asked for money to set you up as a ground trainer, I think they'd bring the the van and get you collected. <laughs> yeah, Danny, I'm not joking. They would. Really? I mean, I've never earned a penny until actually. I'd probably say a year ago. I've never, I've never paid a wage to myself out of this. I've never earned a penny out of it. So, and I put regular sixty hours or more into it.
0: Wow.
2: So It is. It's it, it's it's crazy. You know, there's a minimum wage out there now, and it costs a lot to staff correctly and do things properly. And when you think what you've got coming in, and then you buy it, I'm probably a, a bad choice because I own my own dogs. Mm. So that owners, you know, I don't see that business model. I have seen people with a business model what's tried to do it on a run money deal and things like that, work. it don't work because I know because I'm on a run money deal with myself, so I know that that business model doesn't work now with the owners. It might work. I don't know, but I don't don't see anybody earning a good living out of it. I don't see any. You certainly wouldn't want to be thinking you've got to pay a mortgage for the price of houses and property and stuff nowadays. I'm the family.
0: No, it doesn't seem um, attractive in that respect, does it? But it is just spending time with the puppies and spending time with dogs all day. I mean, I always think, oh, I'd love to. I'd love to be a dog walker. That's what I always think to myself. And then I look at winter and think, nope. (laughs) <laughs> so it's that side of things as well you know trying to make it an attractive kind of
2: yeah, I mean, path for
0: the youngsters.
2: If you if you love animals you can't beat it. Mm. I mean, we've got ponies we've always had horses we've got dogs and you know i have always got the pets at home. I couldn't do without animals around me. They're always happy to see you. You know if you're having a bad day you can't beat having a, a good old chat to the dog and sit down with the dog and you know you just can't beat it. That's my, you know, I get out, I'm going to take pets out and I'm going to have a walk out over the fields and stuff and I just think, oh, I love this.
0: Yeah, nothing better. That's how I, because I've got my wolf at home and she just makes me, makes my day. She drives me up the wall quite a lot of the time. But when you come in and you've had a bad day at work or you've not quite nailed something at work and you think, oh, I've got to go home and then they've just got that little wagging tail and you think, well, I can't be unhappy now, can I? Because yeah. She's no, so happy to see me. Well,
2: you can't, can't you? And the house is never empty when you've got a, a dog in the house. So I love my dog. I'd rather animals over people.
0: <laughs> yeah, with you there. <laughs> now, we always ask the trainers on here because we know how full-on a trainer's job can be. What do you do to relax and switch off? Do you go on holiday? Do you manage to get away any at all?
2: Well... I've not actually. I said to the wife. She says, "You've not been away with me for two years." I go away. Me, my friend lost his wife to a, a brain tumor uh, a fair while back, and he set up a charity called Headcase. Now we had a dog years back, what we called Headcase, which was a charity dog. Didn't turn do, uh, that great, to be quite honest. But he does a. He was in cycling, so he's got this cycling. Uh, do what he goes up in France, and they go from Baritz over the Pyrenees to Perpignan. So I always think you can give money to charity, but it's not the same as giving time. So every year I go and help him with this cycle event. And all I do, I get all the bags in the morning, out the hotel, load everybody's bags up into the vehicle, and then I have to take them to the next hotel and load them all out. Because when they come back to the hotel, they're all done. So they need everything laid out in the hotel rooms. And that's my role. But in the daytime, I follow them, and I sit on top of the mountains, have a cup of coffee, Think, you know, have something to eat. My phone will not work in the Pyrenees. You get, <laughs> you get no service, no nothing. And I get a week, just chill out. I've got it coming up in, I think, September the 10th. And I love it. That is, well, one time a year, I go, and that is my, I just love it. It's so a week away, nothing happens. And I, I just, and I just, I love the Pyrenees. I just love being up on that mountainside side. So quiet. And I just said, when I go, I want my ashes spread on the Pyrenees because I just love the place. I think my dream house is a place on there with a big glass gable end. See all the, honestly, you'd see winter come in, summer come in, all the seasons. I think I'd sit there. In my old age, I'd just sit there, maybe smoking a pipe, having a pint or whatever, just there and go, you know what? I'll go tomorrow, I'm happy. So
0: that's where
2: where I chill out. I mean, I like my cars. I've always liked my cars. I used to have a real nice car years ago and if I had a bad day, I used to go out for a drive out and that around the villages and I'd come back and be like, I'm all right now. Fright myself to death, blah, (laughs) blah, I'm all right. And now uh, I I like films as well. I love to sit and watch good films. That's me me chill out as well. So other than that, you don't really get much chance to chill out and relax. Just my one week a year over in France, that's that's coming up and I am ready for it
1: really. Well, but what was your car and what's your favourite film? uh I had an AC Cobra,
2: and it, it it was a beast. It was it was unbelievable. And then my favourite film has always been Shawshank Redemption. Good choice. I... I've I've watched it so many times. I've watched it so many times. I just I just love it. There's certain so, so films you can just keep watching and watching, can't you?
0: Yeah, yeah, and that is one of them. I love yeah. Shawshank.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, it's great. a great film. Yeah.
0: Uh, right Joe we've got a couple of social media questions I think we
1: do yeah we do have a couple of social media questions thanks for these uh, the third bend I call say friend of the show because he does send a question in thankfully and he says hypothetically if the sport finally builds a centre of excellence where would it be and what facilities would it include well
2: we missed a question out earlier because on that one I'd put go to uh point 13 because on point 13 it's um, what, what would I like to, to see within greyhound racing or what could sort of change? And I said, I'd love to see a cooperative of owners and trainers and buy our own tracks and go to like it sort of is in Australia. And I don't, even though it's a bit of a tree dream, I don't think it's a park dream. I think we could work together and, you know, there's some wealthy people within this sport. And I think selling a share option out to however many people and maybe get one or two tracks and then progress and plough the profits back in. I think that would then work with what his idea is with regard to the centre elections. Because if the sport was run for the sport, you'd want to do things like that. But You'd want everything to be right. And it wouldn't be about maximising profits because that's not what the whole idea of having the tracks would be about then. It would be having the sport as the best you could have it and involved in that would be a veterinary centre, you know, a training academy, on-site kennels where trainers or one of your trainers could then come through. So if I could have my dream and, and and finance it and do whatever, that would be the way I would I would do it. Get the sport, run for the sport and owned by
1: the sport. Oval Fives asked a question, obviously referring to opens. But how do you dis- decide what races uh, to enter your dog in and sort of placing your dogs around the UK? Uh, it's
2: always been a case of what's going to suit my dog. First and foremost, your dog's your number one priority. Uh, I do keep my ear to the ground and keep my eyes open and, and listen to see where's getting the least amount of injuries. You know, I want that dog coming back safe and sound. So I'll run where I, I'm touch wood I think I've got that best option and sometimes it's where you're not going to meet certain people I think the days of being able to really duck and dive like they used two years ago where there was more tracks it's not like that anymore so you always got to meet quality up somewhere see where things have been a little bit weak Think then say well I'll pop that there and see if we pinch a few quid if something something's, something's owing you a few quid and you think so I need to win a few quid off that note. I've paid a few quid for it so I need to get a bit back and that's
0: what you do amazing just the best chat we've had peter i think that is everything that we've got on our questions and i can fully see why nobody else has put the hand up for the trainers rep because you have got the personality i think to drive through the changes that we do want to see and and people might not like it but it's the, the best for the sport so Hats off to you for signing up for another three years. And I've thoroughly enjoyed our chat today. It's been absolutely fantastic.
2: Well, I, to be honest, Danny, I always like watching the programme when you're on because I can see you're doing it for the right reasons and you've got the sport at your heart and you've got the dogs at your heart. And you, I can see you enjoy it. And it does come across in your commentaries and stuff like that. Mm. It doesn't seem like it's just, just a job to eat. And from our side of things, we like that because we yeah. can see people who's in it the same as us, because they love the role, they love the job and stuff like that. So it's, you know, it's good to have someone like you doing this as well, because I don't mind talking to people who's on the same wavelength as me. So I mean, Joe, you know, he's, he's got his dog, so I know he loves the game as well.
1: Yeah, well, we don't, as we say, the, we don't get paid for this. So, uh, you know, we're doing it out of the love, otherwise you wouldn't bother. It <laughs> yeah. takes a bloody long time. It does, my
2: missus always <laughs> says to me,
1: when you said you were going to retire, you were packing this job up like, and,
2: I did I said to the lady, I said to my mother, I says, I've to had these pups out of Pippi, mother. I says, <laughs> I wish she had sometimes I wish she hadn't come along so I could have called it in day and thought, go off and have me retirement, and enjoy myself. I said, but she says, There's always gonna be something come along, though, Peter, what's gonna keep you in it? I'm like, Yeah, you're probably right,
0: <laughs> But yeah. we love it. We love it. And I can't wait to see the pippies on track. So it'll be, you know, eagle eyes out for October, November time. And I cannot wait. I hope we've got some superstars in there and yeah, best of luck to you, Peter.
2: Yeah, Good uh, luck, no, Peter. My, no, my luck. The business will be the worst.
0: <laughs> you just know it's going to happen because they love to make a mockery of us. I know. fascinating chat there with peter Hahn, and do hope you enjoyed it as much as myself and joe enjoyed recording it and now we're on to the betting segment of gone to the dogs and he's been begging me since the start <laughs> to be on the podcast and it is mr joe Canelli who's our betting expert this week joe how are you
3: good morning danny good morning joe um i'm okay thank you a bit tired had a game last night it was very eventful so with um my voice is a little bit croaky, but we're good to go and disagree with asking you every time I've seen you. I've seen you plenty in the last couple of weeks, I must
1: say, so we've maybe mentioned it a bit more over the last couple of weeks, but yeah, good to be on and thanks for having me on. Can I ask you a question, Joe? I got, I, I, we didn't ask for any questions for you off, off social media, but someone sent one in and I don't know whether it's a loaded question or not, possibly, but Robert Johnson says, how's your nap tipping going on RPG TV <laughs> since you joined as an expert analyst?
3: Joe, I did see that, and I was hoping you wouldn't bring it up. But um, yeah, it hasn't been great. Um, I think the content's fairly good. We we put up plenty of winners. It's just getting that them two winners out of twenty odd races that we we seem to struggle with slightly. And then the odd lay goes in at decent prices as well, just to to put another nail in the coffin. And uh, we don't pick up many trap challenges either. To be fair, so yeah, not ideal. But um, we'll be better, Robert, if you are listening to this. We've still got six months to go. No, four months to go to the end of the year. So we'll see if we can close the gap. But yeah, keep keep following. I'm sure it'll turn at some point.
1: <laughs> Where are you two on the, the board?
0: I was just trying to find it, actually. So I am minus 31 because I can't pick a trap challenge to save my life. And Joe is minus 32. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's six P in it, Joe. Yeah, I'm, Right, OK. I'm going
3: to say, right if whoever finishes lower i mean you there's a forfeit at the end of the year
0: all right let's do it and if you've got any suggestions gone to the dogs podcast listeners for a forfeit for myself or joe do send them in because this could be fun (laughs) and i'm gonna win Uh, all right we are gonna dive in to Monmouth, I think, this week, uh, Joe Andrews?
1: We are, yeah. And let's start with the uh, Gold Cup semi-finals. In trap order, we've got Hawkfield Ozark, infield Trojan, Flick of a Coin, Kalara Coco, Drooper's roster and Aero Sid in six. Joe, what do you fancy? Is it going to be easy for Hawkfield Ozark, you reckon?
3: He's got a fantastic draw. Um, I think he'd break slightly better from a middle box, as we saw last week from from trap three, holding on to beat Stevie Nose. He does stay well. I think that the, the 11-2 to anti-posts, is a decent price you're getting first three and unless he absolutely walks out of the boxes you you're eye on guarantee that he's going to finish in the first two because he should lead and then it's you're going to take two really good ones to to knock him out of the semi-final so i think 11 to two each way anti-post you're getting a decent price still um he should lead he should win if he if he comes away and leads he's got the time to go with it i don't, I don't take too much into times to be honest but he's got 28.01 last week i've said and Managed to hold on by Stevie. Nose. Kilara Coco was majorly impressive. Uh, she's been in in decent form at Romford as well, beyond the likes of Mini Bullet last the last few weeks. But she's been she was in good form before that, winning 35-18. She clocked not too long ago, so she's in good form and she's she's a good breaker. She she seems to get the the break right every time she comes away. So you know, infield Trojan really isn't quite what he was. Arrow Sid well beyond Hawthfield. I out last week. He didn't really come away and and was be just uh, just under four lengths. He'd back in third and. And Clot's a decent time in there as well. Droopy's Droopy's roster behind March on Larry last week and flick of a coin. he has got quite a tough draw here to try and avoid infield Trojan and Hallfield Ozark. So it does look all about Hallfield Ozak. If he comes away and leads, then he should really win. He's a class animal. And I'd be with Aero Sid out wide to to chase him and think if getting first one on Droopy's roster,
1: I think Aero Sid in six can can take the second qualifying spot as well. So one and six for the forecast for Joe, Danny. Do you agree?
0: mostly yeah I do like Aero Sid um I think he's got the draw on the outside of course he did miss the break he didn't quite come away last week and if he does break on level terms with everybody else he could uh, lay it down to Hawkfield Ozark a little bit uh because he you know even with the missed break he's managed to clock a decent time behind him uh, last time he should be. Decent enough price you'd expect as well, Aero Sid, to maybe boost that forecast with Hortfield-Ozark. But I did like Kalara Coco. She came away really quickly, 4.29 split. And I think if those two are matching strides up into the first turn, Ozark and Coco, they might take a little bit of pegging back. So I'm going to go one and four, but I do think the danger is Aero Sid.
1: Okay. One and four for Danny, one and six for Joe. I think I'd side with uh, Kalara Coco as well. If she turns handy enough, you know, she stays, she sees out this trip and further. So I think I'd be with one and four myself. But I think a full house for Hawkfield Ozark in semi final one. Um, semi final two, again, in trap order, we've got Whiting's New Era, YI Man, Hope's Rhino, March on Larry, Stevie Nose, and then Aero Roland. Danny, what do you reckon?
0: I've always liked Stevie Nose and he did slightly come from off the pace the uh, last time out. He's not always the best away Stevie Nose. He got within a neck of Hawkfield Ozark. I mean, that is a sensational run. And I know that the Drapers like him as well. Um, they rate Stevie Nose. He's been on his travels um, a couple of times. And I do. I, I think I'm going to put him up as one of my two Stevie Nose for sure. I think the draw really suits Aero Rowland. Um, he showed... A bit of early pace last time, 4.48 split, not the quickest away, but um, he's got the draw. He should keep himself safe out wide. But it's why man I think, for me, um, he comes away quickly. We know that. Barry Calls told us on this show that he breaks like a good thing over in Ireland. And I think he's finally finding his trapping boots over here. And he came second behind Kalara Coco. He got all sorts of bother last time out. He was sent off the favourite. I do think if he manages to avoid that uh, bother, which he should do in the blue jacket, I do think this suits him more than the white last week. I would be with YI Man and Stevie Nose. Those are my two. Excellent. Joe?
3: Yeah, I'd be with the same two, but I'd be the other way around. I'd be Stevie Nose to to win the race. He ran an absolute burster beyond Hortfield Ozark last week. You look at what he's been in with recently. Hortfield Ozark. Churchfield said he beat Burnchurch mid seven and three seven and quarter lengths twenty eight fifty, and Then he beat Burnchurch mid the week before that. So he's in fantastic form. Stevie knows I think I think he'll win. I would be with YI man. He just when he comes to competitions, we've seen him just manage to to get his way through the play and then went on to win the play at Toaster. He seems to find a way to make finals. So you know, he's going to have to be careful. Whiting's new era in one. I don't think it's the draw that she wants. And again, I don't think she, she broke okay last week from one and, and paced up nicely and Hopes Reiner will be edging in. He was a bit of a lucky winner, Hopes Rhino. There was a little bit going on and managed to turn in front. Um so if he comes away, I'm sure Mark will be able to get him out of the boxes while I'm, and If he clears White's new era, Hopes Rhino, which I think he will, he'll take some he'll take some pegging back. But I think Stevie knows I think the draw has worked out well with March on Larry and in four and Arrow Rowland in six. So uh, four's got plenty of early. And I think he could possibly set the race up for Stevie Nose to turn in a good position. If doing so, I think he'll go on to where he stays well. He ran a burst the last week. So yeah, Stevie Nose for me and I'll be with why Ironman to, to qualify as well.
1: Same two dogs, other way round. Um, for what it's worth, I'm with Stevie Nose here. Um, I don't know what the prices will be, but he was really impressive to get within the neck of Hawkfield Ozark around Monmore. He's no mean feat, and you know replication of that should be should be good. It's probably a weaker race. It, you know he's not up against the Hawkfield Ozark this week, so so fingers crossed he can do the business. And then that brings us on to the absolute best semi-final of the three. Pumba Jake in one. In two, Lynx Maverick, who was ultra impressive last week and has been for for many weeks. Untold Yen in three. Ballybo Mags in four. (laughs) is Ambush in five. And Churchfield Sid in six. Now, it was a mouthwatering clash last week. Um, It was Churchfield Sid versus Lynx Maverick and Lynx Maverick came out on top, Joe. What do you reckon will happen this week? Same?
3: I do. And I think Churchfield Sid will qualify again. He's... He's just an absolute monster, isn't he, Lynx Maverick? He he's, he takes some leading when he when he gets it right, like he did last week. And to be fair to Churchill, City, he's run a, a big race. It's his second run back. You know, he's he's been off the card a long time and it's only second run back. And to be chucked in with the likes of links Maverick, is, it wouldn't have been ideal for connections to, to come up against him in the first round. It wouldn't be ideal to come up against him in the semi-final because you are actually losing a place in third that doesn't qualify this week. So, you know, it's a great race. I couldn't think of a worse race for Untold Yen. And connections, obviously, licensed with with Carol and, and Darren, and you know it's it's just a worst semi final to be and drawn immediately outside Links Maverick and Churchfield sitting in six, so it's going to be a struggle for the rest here. I think two and six will qualify again. You know they're, they're two absolute aeroplanes, and I think if six qualifies, then he would be an absolute huge player in the final because he's only going to get better now. Mm. You know the the more runs he has and, and the more time they have with him, he's only going to get better. So I, I, there's still a Another huge running in, was similar to what Lynx Maverick done for me last week. It would be no surprise for me to see Churchfield Sid beat Lynx Maverick this week. I know people will say that, you know, he's got a fair bit of, uh, of time to, to reverse, but it wouldn't be a surprise for me if he come away this dog. He's an absolute machine. You know, sit back and enjoy and, uh, and let's see what happens because it's a brilliant race. We're going to have two fantastic finalists from him. Yeah, I think Links Maverick will win. I think Churchill Sid will chase him home in second.
1: Good stuff. And Danny, what do you reckon?
0: I mean, it's gotta be those two, hasn't it? Because Churchfield Sid, I mean, his his return to action. I was on the show, um, and it was absolutely phenomenal beating infield Trojan by almost four lengths. He absolutely came away like a good thing, four twenty-two split. Yeah, he didn't go as quickly um last week, but you've always got that bit of a bounce factor as well when you've been off the track for so long you might not put it all together the second run back. I'm really, really hoping that Churchfield Sid does get a break like he did um, on his return at 4.22, because I think if he does, then we're going to see a real, real good clash with Lynx Maverick, because they might pace up together to the bend um, if Churchfield Sid comes away like we know he can, and then it will be race on, because Lynx Maverick just had him always in behind last week. So I'm really hoping that, Churchfield Sid comes away because we might get the match race then that we've uh, had a few uh, calls not calls about but tweets about and what have you about uh, Lynx Maverick and Churchfield Sid he blew him away last week but Lynx you know he's on a nine timer I think I've just totted up so Churchfield Sid's got to go some but I'm really hoping he matches pace into the bend because then I think we're in for a real treat Joe. Excellent.
1: Yeah. And this is a no bet race for me. I mean, I'm annoyed because I I was going to have a decent bet on Lynx Maverick each way for the competition. He was six to one last week. And I was definitely in the Lynx Maverick camp Uh, rather than Churchfield Sid, you know, Lynx Maverick's fit. He's been there, seen it, done it. The Pal Mall was, you know, the very, very strong competition Mm. that he won easily Mm. and Churchfield Sid's on a fat finding mission. You know, he's, he's, he's a class dog. He's done the trials. He won it. He won an open race coming back. The ability is still there, but I mean, Lynx Maverick at the moment on what he's shown is it's, in my opinion is is a level above and I thought he showed that last week and I, I agree with Joe you know he will be getting stronger. But I just think it's going to be the same again. Um, and then we'll see what the draw is in the final. But there's no value now. He's about two to, two to one, I think, in the outright. So the, the value there probably is with, with Churchfield, Sid, now. But mm. uh, we, we'll see. And I think Hawkfield ozark is, you know, he should qualify from his heat in 11-2. He is a sort of each way bet to nothing because you'd be surprised if he wasn't in the, the top three. He didn't make the final and then get in the top three. But, um, you know, if they can all get through, again, those three, it's going to be a mouthwatering clash next week and uh you know another really strong competition and looking forward to saturday um yeah. here we go right so the next one summer stayers all right i'm gonna go through the traps first because uh, it's got my uh, least favorite dog of the moment in in this one <laughs> semi-final one again in trap order havana top note havana bailout hang on mark from poster pillar ted's dexter and bally mcarcher now for starters, this is a high, high-class quality semi-final, this one. Really looking forward to it. Havana bailout in two. There's been a lot of debate. We haven't debated it on the podcast about Havana bailout seeding. I did hear you on the RPG TV on Friday talk about it, Joe. And I've been quite vocal about it, obviously, because we had a dog in the, in the uh, heat last week. But what what do you think, Joe? What's your opinion on this, on this seeding?
3: I don't agree. I can see why Rab's done it. I can see why he's done it. There's plenty of tactical seeding. Going about. It's more the racing office for me that needs to take a stand in and say, look, you you can't do it. They've they've covered themselves massively by putting a rails to middle comment on the trial. Um, we all watched the trial. And when you start on the bend, you have got nowhere else to go other than a straight line on the run to the corner to rail from trap two. You're gonna go there. We've seen where she went off the bend. She she was kind of edging off going into the second bend anyway, and then just swung off middle to wide from the second bench, she'd done it in the third and fourth bend and she done it in the fifth and sixth bench. So yeah, not for me. It's more the racing office. I get why Rab's done it. from a from a, a racing perspective and a, a spectacle, it, it it's not ideal. We all speak to the go go to the hills about welfare and and you know you just you you're just falling into the auntie's lap if anything was to happen, in my opinion, when with something happening in a race. Touch wood, it doesn't happen and, and we get a, a cleaning offering race as we got on Saturday. She's in two now so you know she's it's a favorite box, that's what she tried out of. So we'll see where she goes. But um, I think it can suit have on a top note in one. I think there's a massive running this dog. I think 25 to one, anti Post is, is massive. Um, Rab will be absolutely devastated that he's going to lose at least one if he does finish first and second here with from Poster Pillar in there as well. You know, we've been vocal about him and we got a bit of stick for it on Friday night regarding from Poster Pillar. We've never ever once said that we don't rate the dog. He's no. one of the fastest dogs around, and we've always said that. If he's going to stay a six thirty trip, it will be some a lot more, and more. Again, the race fell into his lap last week with plenty of uh, trouble in behind. Um, he done thirty seven fifty seven, so he's he's come on for that. And if he comes away and leads again, then then he's a massive runner. And the is ridiculous, twelve thirty eight. It really is over the the, the two ten trip. I think it is there that they use for the, the 6.30. But it's a great race. And I think there's a run in Havana top. No, I really do. I think 25 to 1 anti-post still in the semi-final is, is ridiculous. You've got a good drawing one. It's worth two lengths to draw in one over the 6.30 there. You know, it, it is worth two lengths if you can come away from it. So I'm going to be with him. And I'm going to be with from post to pillar to qualify. He's, uh, he's just got too much raw four-bend speed not to get competitive. And then it's whether he'll, he'll stay well enough or not when there is some good stairs in behind him. But... Yeah, I'm going to be with I'm going to be with one and four to qualify. I don't know which order. If he gets off the front from poster pillar, then he's going to go on and win. But I just think there's a massive running Havana top note still, so it'll be one and four for me. And you know what? I'll stick with that way. I'll stick with one to beat four. Danny, what
1: do you reckon? And have you got an opinion on the seeding?
0: Oh, I do. Yeah, I watched the trial, and um, it was on the day that they trialed as well because I was the analyst, I think, on Racing Post TV. And there's no way. That he ever should have said middle to rails or, or whatever, because she just wasn't. She was wide all the way around, pretty much. And if you've got no dogs inside you, you are going to cut in a little bit to the rail anyway, because that's what dogs do, you know? But there's no way in my mind that she should have been um, accepted as a railer. Not a chance. So
1: well, sorry, Danny. I was just going to say also the, the racing office can put wide on the straights yeah, as well, which to, I
3: was just about to say, which she, you know, she middle was to rail, middle to rails
1: bends, yeah. rails to middle bends, middle to wide straights. You can put that. And then you can't give them a, a rail sheath. So
0: so that's the thing, you know, they should have done that. And then she would have been in a more suitable box down the centre, probably three or four. Yeah. For me, the seeding, my mouth dropped open when they were putting boxes one from poster pillar and have had a bailout in the week before. I couldn't believe it. And then again, when they were, when I'd seen the trial and I thought, oh, well now we know, now we know that she's not going to be in one or two, even she might be in three or four, but depended on what they accept Um, in the racing office and then I saw her in box one and I was like well I texted you Joe and said how do you feel about it because it's absolutely for me was absolutely unbelievable and yes we didn't get any trouble thank goodness for that well we We got a little bit
1: but low pressure and and Claire I mean we were always up against it in four anyway even if you had the tightest railer in one you know four there for her is is a poor draw regardless and she needed to either smash out or miss it slightly unfortunately she they all came out together and Mm. you know she ran a cracker she was in front at the pickup as well and she, she ran well but it, she was always up against it in four and that's racing that's competitions and, and yeah. draws but you know if I was low precious connections or Claire Keith Remy I mean she did come out and get get in their way and it's no coincidence that it was one five and six that qualified from that race and you know five and six were you know betting out outsiders in, in the race I don't think it's a you know it's a coincidence so you know as I said I, I for us, it was difficult anyway without Havana Bay out in one. Yeah. But if I was low pressure or, or Claire Keith Remish connections, I'd be even more, more annoyed. But...
0: And you'd have to think as well if Havana Bay out wasn't accepted as a railer, you'd have been closer to the rail yourself anyway, yeah. Joe. So yeah. it could yeah. have made all the difference. And I just, no, not for me. Don't like it at all. Um, she's in two this week. I mean, she came away well, didn't she? 1266 split. Is she going to break as well from two? is she going to move off slightly because she's got Havana top note on the inside? Possibly. I mean, from post to pillar, yeah, Is the race did fall in his lap a little bit, but the time that he's recorded, 37.57, he clearly stays this 6.30 metres. I'm quite excited to see his future now as maybe a six-bend dog and the occasional dip back to four, but I do think he's he might be a revelation over this six-bend trip and they might have a, a good time of things with him because I think he can just take his time a little bit more to get into the race. You know, when he's he is encountering trouble from different draws uh, around four bends. When you're in against the top class dogs, you don't have the time over four bends to just get yourself back going, get yourself you know back into the race. And you, we've seen that time after time after time when he's come second, he's come third, and he's closing all the way to the line because he's got snagged up in little bits of trouble. So I do think the six bend trip for him, because he's so, got such raw speed over the four bends and because he obviously stays the 6.30, I do think he's going to be a, a, a nice type over six. So I'm quite excited to see what he can do from post to pillar. I think, fe- you know, finally we, we, we should see what he's made of. So from post to pillar for me, he's a no-brainer. And then it is the two Havanas. I think I'm going to have to go with bailout because she's shown that she handles the track 38.15 on her look round um, in race conditions last week she wouldn't need to improve too much on that to beat the likes of you know Ted's Dexter who ran an absolute cracker last week in 38.08. he's got a good, good enough draw out wide he'd probably want to be in six to be fair but yeah I'm gonna have to go with bailout from Poster Pillar. pillar with an eye on Ted's Dexter um, just to see if he can close them down in the late stages because I think he really does stay the 6.30. He obviously stays further 6.95. He's been over Hove as well. But yeah, two, uh, two and four for me, maybe five could spoil the party.
1: Two and four for Danny, maybe five. For me, I think I agree with you, Danny. From post to pillar over six bends, an exciting proposition. Obviously, confirmed that last week with a superb run. I think, you know, I agree with what he said. He's going to have a little bit more time to think about it and a little bit more time to get to the front over six bends, isn't he? We know he can find a bit of trouble and get in a bit of a mess, but, you know, six bends, he's just got that little bit more time to to have a think about it and get by. So, um, yeah, really exciting, cracking run last week. However, for me, I, I do think Havana top note's got a great draw. I know. He was in one last week as well, slowly away and, and can be slowly away. But if he gets out all right again from that trap, you know, with a vanna bailout possibly coming across and causing a little bit of trouble, I think it could open up for him. And we know he's got the ability to, to win this, you know, probably not, well, not as good as from post to pillar, but I just think with the draw he's got and a decent break, he might be a bit of value in this race. Cracking race though. Absolutely superb oh, semi final, 8.03 on Saturday. Tune in RPG TV.
0: That's a good uh, link in. We're not covering the Irish Derby this week, mainly because uh, the lads over in Ireland do it far better than we can. <laughs> so it's talking dogs on Twitter, isn't it, Joe?
1: Talking dogs on YouTube, yeah, I think they are on Twitter as well. But if you want to watch the videos and the previews, you can watch them on YouTube. They're really, really good stuff, and as you say, infinitely better than uh, anything we can we can pump out. I will say we I haven't spoke to Barry about this, but we're hoping to get Barry call cool back on uh, the next podcast to preview the Derby final night and and the um, supporting cards. So fingers crossed, we will have a little bit of Irish Derby info for you next time.
3: How can he possibly turn that down now?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> if he's not on it, you know he's he's mugged us off. So, well, hopefully not, because Barry's great. He's been he's been was great over the Derby, English Derby. Mm-hmm. So uh, fingers crossed, still join us again. I don't think we offended him. So, <laughs> apart from the right said Fred tribute chat. Yeah. Right, moving swiftly on semi-final number two, uh, and this is another really good race as well. Again, uh, trap order distant Emma droop is clue droop is by a mile beat is sparkle droop is service and out in trap six we have Havana lover for Rob McNair another one um Danny I'll come to you first this time what do you reckon
0: oh my goodness mate um droop clue got into all sorts of bother last week and we know what he can do he recorded the fastest trial time I think we were all eyes popping out of our head when we saw that trial because he just never stopped he you know you see dogs over six bends sometimes and they have a little bit of a flat spot or they're not all out speed. And this lad just seemed to be all out speed from the off. He just didn't stop in the trial. Obviously he got into trouble last week. So thankfully he did qualify behind from post of pillar. And I think we'll see a better, hopefully a better run from him this week. If he manages to avoid trouble. I love Droopy's clue. If he does get into a little bit of trouble, he might struggle, but I'm hoping he does it this week. Distant Emma. I know the Drapers rate right. Her very, very highly. And she just didn't come away last week. She got into little bits of trouble. I've always liked Kuna Crow, so I'd actually backed Kuna Crow last week and I was quite heartened to see that he did uh, manage to beat her. But I do like distant Emma. I think she's got a good draw on the inside here. Uh, Rails to mid, but I I do think she'll be absolutely fine. Um, Distant Emma on the inside. And she should be able to get a better break this time from uh, the red jacket. And then you've got Havana Lover out wide who... She, You know, she's got the draw. She won by length and a half. She beat Kachis last week. She's put in a decent enough uh, split as well, 12-68. She should be able to clear three, four and five. Absolutely no problem. I'm going to have to go with a bit of a heart bet with Distant Emma. And then I just think the draw for Havana Lover on the outside. Obviously with an eye on, on two, but yeah, Distant Emma and Havana Lover. I just think the draws are really good for the pair of them. And hopefully Distant Emma can come away this week.
1: There you go. Solid reasoning from Danny. Very assured. One and six, Joe. Do you do did, did naps? No, but you feel free to to give one.
3: This would be my nap distant Emma, and I'd I'd suggest people take eight to one because if she wins as well as I think she will, and she gets one in the final, she won't be any bigger than two to one come the final, no matter what's in it. And you know she's eight to one now. I think that's a monster price still. I really do. Um, she's got a great draw. She'll lead Droopy's Clue if she comes away. He's I was on the show for the trial stakes, the juvenile, and he, he led round and done 29 dead. And I said that he, it's not a bad thing, he just looks a genuine 29 dead toaster dog, no matter what he does Like when he leads. because And then you think back to why he looks a 29 dead dog, because he's done 37-39 over 6.30 Monmouth. It probably takes him four bends, really, to to kick in and get going. You know, he, he tried and looked like he stayed really well over this 6.30 trip. It was an unbelievable run to catch righty to win the, the juvenile who's won over 575 Romford, you know. So, to catch a, a, a stayer is says something about the dog, and he's an absolute machine for me. He's just got the wrong one inside him in terms of distant Emma. If he was drawn inside, then it's a completely different race. But as I said, uh, it's worth two lengths this, this trap one trip over the 630. My well, It really is it's such a short run to the corner, yeah. I, I, I think distant Emma will win, I th- she'd, she'd be my nap, she's got a great draw. I think she'll come out. If she gets any kind of run early on, I think she'll win. And as I said, I'd, I'd be taking eight to one if I was people, because I think if she wins well and she gets a good draw in the final, she's going to be two to one, five to two, absolute max, depending on what makes the final, of course. And I'll be with Droopy's clue to qualify as well. I think you can tow her around. And I think you're qualifying second. So I'm going to be one over two. It would have to be Havana Lover as a, a, a third selection, just purely on the draw. And the, the the rest of the race, you know, wouldn't wouldn't take much beating for me. Droopy's service, beat his sparkle, droopy's bye mile. So, yeah, it'd be one, two, and six for me. And if I had to have a nap, it would be distant, Emma. And I think eight to one still looks a big price.
1: Well, three steps, winner distant Emma for Joe. Nap, mega nap, absolute cert. For what it's worth, I'm just going to side with Havana Lover in this race in six. You know, purely on the draw. I mean, she's she's on a combat mission herself after her hunt cut win at Oxford, and um, where she broke the track record in the final. I just think there could be a little bit of trouble on the on the inside here, and she's got a good draw. You know, she did a 38 dead last week, and she's um, she's only ran a handful of times trials, and that was her first race back. So I, I think. You know, even if something gets clear, um, as long as she can stay out of trouble, she'll be staying on late at the end. And I just think, you know, with distant Emma and Drooper's glue in there, she might be a decent enough price on Saturday. So uh, Havana lover for me. Uh, right. Final semi-final of the summer stayers classic. Trap one, cheese two Fridays Eski, Kuna Crow in three, Lightfoot Falcon in four. We've got Warzone Tom, the Legend in five and Hopes Woof Woof in six. Joe, what do you reckon?
3: He ran really well last week, Warzone time, back on the card. Crucially, this week, he's drawn outside Lightford Falcon. He was drawn inside him last week and managed to go around in front and went on to win well. In the end, I thought Hopes-Wolf-Wolf run an absolute huge race behind Havana-Berlau to get as close as he did. He was only down half a length. But it's going to be a trap one treble for me in the three semi semi-finals. I think Cachese, again, ran a, a big race behind Havana-Lover. Last week, um, didn't manage to lead. he came come away okay, but just had the wrong one in front in, in Havana. She stays really well, as we know. I know she hasn't had a run for a while, so she would have needed that run. But I thought he ran really well. To be caught last week by distant Emma, which, again, is no disgrace at all, um, to run as well as he did last week when not leading, was a, a big run. Friday, Teskey was a surprise to see him lead. You know, he, he just stayed well Friday's Zesky. To, to see him go around in front was a bit of a surprise, but I don't think he can lead Kachis if Kachis comes away. He's another one who would edge off slightly from one. Ideally, he'd probably be drawn somewhere like trap three, but over this trip, trap one's where you want to be if you are a a rail a railer, really a rails to middle. I know I use that term loosely with some of the comments that we've seen on some of these dogs, but yeah, it, it, I'd be with Kachis. Just I think he's he's shown enough to to suggest that he could win a race of this nature in a in this semi final. I think he can pop out and lead, and he wouldn't be for catching if he led in this race. I don't think Kunoof Crow was a a majorly impressive winner last week. Hope's Wolf Wolf, I think, ran really well last week. I think life at Falcon can do enough to stop Warzone Tom getting in the race early, and I think it could suit Friday's Eski in two to stay on and finish second. So I'm going to be one over two. Again, I think it'll suit the inside runners here. And yep, Kacheev's for me to win, and Friday's eski to, to finish second.
1: Cheers, Joe. And, and Danny, blindly following Kuhnock Crow again?
0: <laughs> what do you mean, blindly following? <laughs> How dare you? I mean, I think are you no well I think she's gonna be one of the two because I think she's a really good stayer that's my thing so I don't think she'll lead um I don't think she's got hope in leading to be fair but she's really gutsy and she's a real battler as well she got into all sorts of bother last week and ran in the first couple of bends but I do think she's going to qualify Warzone Tom has always been my boy. I've absolutely loved this lad um, for however many years he's been <laughs> racing now, and he, he was a good winner last week. And if he manages to get out with that twelve sixty split again, he he could take the race because we know he stays this six thirty as well. Uh, I found this one really really tricky because I love Warzone Tom. Kachis you can never ever write off in any kind of race that he he's ever in because he's just such a real game genuine dog and. The Reeses have got a really, really nice height with Kachis. You know, uh, we saw how well um, he closed down in the in the derby and this six bends has suited him down to the ground here at Monmore. Yes, he's come up behind distant Emma and Havana Lover. No disgrace behind those two, but I think Joe's right. I think the draw's good uh, for Kachis, and I'm going to go 1-3. I think Kachis can come through on the inside, hopefully, and Kunuk Crow in second. So those are my two.
1: One and three for Danny, and then again for what it's worth, which isn't a lot. It's a full house for Kachis. I think you know, I completely agree. Got got another, you know, in trap one again. Got a good draw. He's been breaking out really well lately, showing good early pace. We know he's, we know he stays, um, and I think he can put the race to bed early, and and they won't be able to get past him. So uh, full house for trap one. So that's it. That's it for the week, Joe. Thanks for joining us. Hopefully, plenty of winners. Remind us your super mega nap.
3: Distant Emma in the second semi final of the go- of the summer stairs. And also, Danny, are you working Saturday? No. Get yourself to Perry Bar. Okay. Because there's a certain space jet running over seven ten in a race. So you said you wanted to see her in the flesh.
0: Yes. I'm She's running
3: on. She's running. We have to we have to mention her. She's the absolute queen of our sport you mm. um, talking about Danny
1: running... or Space Jet? <laughs> Space
3: Jet. Absolutely, <laughs> Space Jet. Um, yep, yeah, she's running Saturday, 716, 710, uh, 7, 710 meters, West Wild Dora, Space Jet, Long Acre Surta, Troy Bellatrix, Saleka Smasher, and Freestyle Sue. So, yep, yeah, she's back out on Saturday, obviously with a tilt of the ledger coming up. Um, you'd be good to wouldn't you? You think, oh, we'll go for a little seven-ten at Perry Bar Saturday and we may be able to nick a race, and then you'd get the trap draws through and you see space Jet in two. <laughs> yeah, oh God. Even like Sleiken <laughs> Smash is an absolute machine as well, mm. to be fair to him. So he'll put it up to her because he'll lead her. And then it's it's how long it'll take her to, to pass him. But um he's a fantastic dog, Sulaika Smash. It. But yeah, all about Space Jet. And we'd like I said, we need to mention her because she is the absolute superstar of our sport. And we need to celebrate it whenever she does run. So, yeah, hopefully she, she runs a big race. And Danny, if you're not working, no excuses.
1: Box Office, this is what these stars do. They yeah. make you go and watch.
3: They do, absolutely. If you need more,
1: promote it. Box Office, as I always say, Space Jet. Well, cheers, Joe. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. You'll we be welcome back very soon. Thank Danny. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks for joining me, as always, <laughs> every other week.
0: Thanks, everyone. See you later.
1: Cheers, Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to Gone to the Dogs, released every other Friday. For more info or to reach out on Twitter, follow at Totally Betting and at Danny V.
2: Jackson. Podcast produced and edited by Joe Andrews and Danny Jackson. Voice over by Katie Harvey.